Live from the Pacific Northwest, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. Real. True. Stories. May the narrative be with you. I had cancer, and I had chemotherapy, and I had dreams. I had an avalanche of dreams. I had dreams by night and some by, by day. And the dreams served as a guidepost, in a sense, of the experience I was living. Uh, the, the pain, the confusion, and the terror. I'm dreaming I'm on an altar deep, deep underground. It's dark and it's cold. My wrists and my ankles are bound. They're tied by rough leather thongs onto each of the four corners of the slab. Above me, I can see in the tiny opening into the sky, a glimmer of weak sunlight comes through. Looming over me is a figure all dressed in black. He has a cowl or a hood over his head, so I can't see the facial features at all. But I can see his hands. In each hand, he's carrying a sword, a, a knife, which is slightly curved. And the sunlight coming on those knives makes them look like silver crescent moons. He suddenly reaches his hands up in the air, and he brings the knives down into my belly and slashes it open in an X. He brings his hands up again with the knives, and he makes an X on my chest. With one hand, he pulls my ribs to the side. With the other hand, he reaches in and scoops out my beating heart. The curious thing about that dream is that it happened three months before my diagnosis. It happened in April, and it wasn't until July 2nd that I was diagnosed. So what did that mean? Um, at the time, I didn't think it meant much of anything, except it was pretty scary. I was looking during this time when I was having the chemotherapy and sick as well from the disease, I was waiting for my return to normal. So that became a theme. There were like more guideposts. What, like, is this the day that normal's going to come back? And it felt the more time passed that normal was on a long holiday. It wasn't coming back. There were a couple of images that appeared to me, as well as the dreams, and one was of an abyss. I felt as if I was on the edge of an abyss, teetering, and the threat was that I would lose my foothold. The lure of the abyss was that it was exquisite. It was, the snow was so deep, the ice was, there was a blue cast to it. And part of the allure, I think, as well, was just the, the mystery of it. Where did it end? Where did it go? Um, another image that was persistent in my days and nights was that of the dark angel overhead. And the dark angel, she was tender. She was the goddess of infinite compassion. She was not a threat, despite the fact that I knew she was there because I may be scooped up and taken off with her at any point. I'm dreaming that I'm in a dungeon with my hands chained to the wall behind me and my shoulder, shoulders are getting tired from carrying this weight on my wrists. I'm led from the dungeon up a few couple of stairs into the sunlight, 
and I am brought into a village square. There are people there, um, and there's a, men and women, about three or four of them, who are gathering branches and twigs and making a pile in the center of the square. I'm led toward that pile, and I understand pretty quickly what's coming. I'm pushed onto it, and immediately someone comes behind me and ties my wrists to the pole that's in the middle of this pile. I see the torches coming, and I begin to feel the heat of the fire on my ankles and my calves. And at the same time, I look over the heads in the crowd, and I see a small child running toward me, carrying a basket of herbs and flowers. My, the crime for which I had been taken into this dungeon and to this fire had been that I had been caught in the meadow outside the village gathering herbs and flowers. This basket she was carrying was very much like mine. She goes toward me running and she's reaching with the basket in her hands trying to get it to me, but she can't make it in time. And I, with my hands bound behind my back, and then I can't help. The burning fire in that dream is what I awaken to that morning, and I feel my face, and it feels on fire. It's, it is so hot. I go to the mirror, and I look at myself, and I am like a just-boiled lobster. My skin is, is deep, deep red, glassy, a purple hue. I get a washcloth and put some cold water on it and put it on my face, and there's this sizzling that happens, and then steam rises. It is so hot. So the symbolism, again, it's the fire, the... I don't know, there's sort of probably many interpretations, but one thing I was trying to convince myself consistently throughout this experience was that the chemotherapy was purifying me, cleansing me. I don't know how I managed to convince myself of that, but I did. When this fire in the dream happened, the fire in my face happened, again, I felt this is a purification. It's cleansing. It's, it's okay. And this is part of how I managed this, these times, is kind of to step back and look what was going on and think, well, that's kind of interesting. What, what does that mean? I also felt very much as if I were residing in the eye of a storm. There was a lot of crazy things going on in my life and in my body, but there was a part of me that was centered in this quiet place. I began losing my hair, but not in a neat and chic way. It happened with clumps, and I began to look more and more moth-eaten and waif-like. So I asked my aunt if she would shave my head and do it with intention, get this over with. She did so. And um, it, it was a relief to me, in a way. My mom said, you look like a Buddhist nun just taking her vows. And in a, a weird way, there was, I could understand that. My brother called me Sinead. And for those of you who don't know, Sinead O'Connor, had, she had chosen the option of being bald at that point. And she was also a favorite of mine. I'm dreaming I'm on a cement jetty. It's, it's narrow. It's maybe 12 to 14 inches wide. We're high above the ocean, about 20 feet, and there's a huge raging storm going on, and we're getting soaked. 
The we is a small child I'm holding by the hand. The child image appears in a lot of the dreams, and I think it was my, the life I'm trying to cling to, the health, the vigor that I wanted to get back. We're trying to, we, I want to get back to the shore, and we're trying to walk along this ledge, but it's not wide enough for the two of us, so this little child is in front of me, and I'm holding onto her and hoping that the winds don't blow her off out of my hands and off this jetty. As I start walking, I realize that the jetty, which had been perpendicular to the shore and leading us right to the strand, started to shift, and it slowly became parallel to the shore, leaving us essentially trapped. We'd lost our access, and the water seemed so rough and stormy to swim through. But I looked down, because that's our only way to get out, and I, I'm sickened to see in the water a trail of blood. And I don't think about what the blood came from. I think more about the fact that this is going to bring sharks, and this will further uh, make us in a no-exit situation. If we, there's such huge risk either way we go. In any case, I, I decide that we have to risk the water because that's the only way to get to the shore. And we do manage it. We drag ourselves up on the shore, soaking wet and bloody. And as soon as we manage to sit up, a wonderfully motherly Greek woman approaches us, and she takes a huge pair of scissors out of her pocket, and she starts to snip my hair very close to the scalp until I have none left. When she's done, she puts her shears down. She gathers me in her arms, gathers the child, and she rocks us and comforts us. Again, the symbolism of losing the hair. You think of warriors going into battle and cutting the hair symbolically or shaving their heads. And Jung's interpretation of cutting one's hair or shaving the head a dream is a signal that it's heralding a transformation or an initiation. At some point, Quite far on in my treatment and the disease, I realized that uh, Normal had not only taken a holiday, but had moved permanently. I looked for my, the self, the woman I used to know, and that woman was not there anymore. And I came to terms with the fact that that's not going to happen. That this life that I was dreaming was taking a throwing me a curve to, and also taking it on a path that I wasn't going to be retracing. This was something very new. And um, there are a lot of losses. One of the hugest losses for me was mentally. Uh, there were the physical losses, but there was also the forgetfulness. There was the looking for the word that didn't quite come to me as quickly as it once did. There was reading... Uh, from some piece of literature or book and not being able to really recall it or, or integrate it as quickly as I once could, that was very frustrating. However, as there have been losses, there have also been some good lessons. And one of them has been to learn how to ask for help. I'd spent years as a nurse midwife taking care of moms and babies and uh, being the strong and capable one, and suddenly I was the dependent, helpless, needy one. And this land of neediness was a new, a new place for me, and it took some humility to enter into it and accept it. I learned gratitude. I learned 
patience. I learned, I, I thought many times of the image of the Tibetan uh, sand mandala and the ephemeral nature of it. We never know how long it's going to be there, nor do I know how long I'm going to be here on this planet, in this life. So I also, the, one of the things that's sort of woven throughout here is this life that I'm dreaming or the dream that I'm living, the sort of the way they integrate, and I'm not sure which is which, but they, they mark and they pr provide a structure for, the, for my life as it is today.